Welcome back, folks, to episode 56 of the Running Man Self-Regulation Skills and Self-Improvement Project podcast with me, your host, Dr. Armando Dominguez, Ph.D. in Health Psychology, licensed professional counselor and an adjunct professor at a local community college. And what we're going to discuss today is the idea of concept failure and application failure. These two things are very closely related and often we see them play out in our lives. But what we're going to point out, since this is a podcast, generally speaking, of uh, self-regulatory skills, we're going to see how the ideas that we enamor of whenever we come up with things that seem like ideas that sound really good, or maybe even we have espoused an idea or a perspective that we have feelings and opinions about, very strong ones sometimes, we often develop a belief system, a belief that is encouraged by emotions that often we confuse as belief or the feelings of belief because they feel so strong, in quotes. And um, what we come up with is someone that may be willing to speak based on an idea they hold strongly in their mind that may or may not have been tested, may or may not come from evidence, may often come from somebody else's opinion, somebody that may have spoken with authority or an authority in their life that has said something without supportive evidence and may have taken it as sacrosanct as true. And this is where often we'll come up to situations where somebody may be speaking something rather strongly or saying things are a certain way without necessarily supporting, but they definitely have this uh, real believer uh, perspective. And I say that in quotes because uh, this isn't to disparage anyone but the fact that we can often very quickly become the real believer, the true believer behind an idea. And often we see this in the gossip mill when information is being passed along because somebody has spoken. Did you know and did you hear and did you see or did they tell you? Let me tell you what happened. Oh, I just saw. And we have those kind of sudden situational deliveries of information that can often come with some emotional load. And we, if we're not careful and not centered, can be very quickly suggested to in a way that our body starts responding with stress chemicals. We start having excitement. If something's particularly interesting or sounds juicy, kind of like something you would see on the National Enquirer or on Us Magazine or whatever that tends to be spin. But when we hear it in person, we don't put up the filter of, uh, I don't know about that. Versus it just being an interest piece or an opinion piece, um, as one would say in uh, publishing, that would be something that whenever we have interest in opinion, it is about social reward for the person that's passing on. Now, the podcast before this one, episode 54, uh, 55 rather, uh, spoke about social reward. And there is payoff when somebody's paying attention to you and smiling and looking at you with great interest because you're carrying a piece of vital information. And uh, this is where we can go awry. So back to the ideas that we're going to discuss today. The idea of concept failure and also application failure. Now, the idea of failure itself is not merely a psychological idea, but one of practical application in the sense when things don't work, whenever we try to bring to bear a certain change and realize, well, I did something wrong, maybe I was missing something, I didn't prepare enough, or something happened that was not accounted for. 
And uh, early in my podcast, uh, there is an episode that I did on the principle of endless variation, never surprised, and sometimes realizing that we can deal with change rather gracefully or a little more effectively knowing that things happen. Things can occur that may or may not derail whatever said plans I have had. And to quote from John Steinbeck uh, of Mice and Men, the best laid uh, plans of Mice and Men uh, is along the lines of speaking whenever we have ideas, no matter how well planned they are, uh, often when they meet reality or the situational actuality that we're experiencing, that the plans can go awry. They can go slightly different. We have to be willing to adjust. Awry does not necessarily mean absolute failure. They may not work. And maybe we go on a tangent that's parallel to what we're doing, but not exactly the way we planned. This happens often in military campaigns, wherever you have plans. And when you meet the enemy, things fall apart and you must adjust. But you still have to have this goal or overarching objective that even if it didn't work out exactly like this, this is still the goal, get to the enemy, get to this boundary border or barrier and know that we're supposed to meet here if we can get there. So not unlike that, in principle, our ideas should be resilient and we should have plans for whenever plan failure might occur. What happens if they stop me here? What happens if they stop me there? If there is a individual or opposing opposition, well, that was kind of redundant, but an opposition that would be personal as in human in that sense, versus an obstacle that maybe came up that, well, I didn't account for that. that that's also one of those things that can get in the way. But uh, what we're going to speak of next is application failure. Concept failure, we spoke about failure itself. We haven't spoken about concept belief and then failure just yet. But uh, application failure is when we're actually physically trying to carry out our plan, our plan that at first was an idea, it was held in the mind. And regardless of there's belief or not, we're not speaking of that part just yet, um, is whenever we realize that maybe our plan was complete, maybe we didn't think enough about it, or maybe we didn't develop enough of a, of a plan B or a plan C for just in case. So whenever we're trying to bring things to bear in the physical sense, making a plan real or actuating a certain plan, this is what we call application failure. Now that we have those two ideas kind of defined, let's go back to the concept uh, of not just failure, but concept failure itself. Whenever we have an idea that we do not plan well enough, or maybe for some reason we start having feelings and beliefs that we have what would be called the hope and faith factor. Believing that it's going to work because you feel good or somebody says something with authority and you tend to jump on the bandwagon feeling good because they were smiling and feeling good, not knowing that we have a social reward in payoff in the sense that I'm aligning myself with this person and I'm acceptable and there's an underlying sense of payoff there that we're getting as a result of saying yay verily or yes I agree or that seems to sound really good but yet I don't question it. I'm not doing any thinking or questioning whether or not that idea might work. I just heard them tell it to me, salesmen speak with a tone and body language that sounds convincing and to behaving in a way that they would seem to be convinced of whatever it is that they're speaking of. And this is salesman speak. If we go back to the earlier principles that we spoke about having to do with the influence of any one message, 
uh, we understand that communica- communication happens as a default. That means it starts at the body language level before we're ever close enough to start speaking with somebody. And also after that, it's whenever they are close enough, it's the tone of the voice. And often if it's delivered in a way that's acceptable to us and the body language matches that, that it's supportive, we tend to develop a sense of trust in that moment. And therefore, the last 7% of the message, 93% of the influence being body language and tonals, 50% body language, 43% tonals. And yet the message itself, the importance of the message, the code, the part that is the most important of the message is now more easily acceptable because I've accepted the body language. I've accepted the tonals that is not only acceptable, but not threatening. And I am now more suggestible, one, what they're telling me with the last 7% of the message, but also I'm more apt to accept it without question, especially if they seem to be pleasing or attractive somehow to us. And it doesn't have to be sexual attraction, but attractive in the sense that they make me feel good. They smiled in a way that would be considered authentic, which means it gets past our bias. It gets past our shield that says they could be a danger. Now, if you're feeling comfortable, often if that's delivered wherever I have no red flags or any tension come up that says maybe I should question this, or I'm not so sure where I might even sit back in my own chair and our body will tell us whether or not I feel safe or not. That uh, even the ideas I may kind of scoot back from inner body speaks uh, without words per se, but often will move away from somebody that we don't like their ideas and lean into somebody whom we're listening to rapidly, wherever we have less question about what they're saying and a whole lot of trust. So our body language speaks to us. And we also realize that in communication, these little things happen. They're subtleties. So learning how to breathe well and maintaining a sense of center and not getting emotionally aroused too easily. This doesn't necessarily mean in a negative sense, but also in those feel good, happy feelings that you may get by listening to somebody and hearing somebody speaking in a way that promises a hereafter, that promises a payoff somewhere. This often happens with the religious communities and in spiritual communities where revivals occur, where people in a group are moving and doing in a direction that would seem socially acceptable because people are there to hear about whatever uh, religious, spiritual, or even philosophical ideas, and everyone's there doing something that's positive, not threatening. But yet, you're being affirmed because you're there doing the same thing. So you're socially behaving in the same way. And therefore, what they're saying and what other people are doing is demonstrating to you how you should behave and act. And if people are acting in a way that tells you, yes, accept this, believe this, this sort of thing, the social suggestion is very powerful. Our natural tendency is to be, become part of the group, not only because in hunting societies when we're simpler cave people many thousands of years ago, uh, the more we looked like those we were around, the more apt we were to be accepted, and the more apt we, we would be to act in a way that we would be accepted. So the social suggestion is very powerful. The social reward Uh, is very powerful because that acceptance makes us feel good and we will be more apt to do that and do it again. And dopamine is released. There's a feel good that goes on there. And whenever we have dopamine, we're more apt to remember that, but also more apt to repeat that behavior because dopamine is not only about feeling good, but it's also about remembering more strongly and also being more apt to do those things that make us feel good again. It's something that teaches us to repeat behavior.
So when we have a concept, an idea, and this is where we get into the examples of the concept failure, we start looking at how some people get very enamored. And I like using the term some people because we all know somebody and we may be that somebody once in a while. And who knows, maybe we still are that somebody where we hold an idea very dearly. And often, uh, whenever I'm teaching students and discussing clinical distance and how to maintain one's center and realize that if we're in a position of helping, and it doesn't always have to be in a clinical sense, but also you could be just doing some volunteer work helping somebody out, or even just talking to somebody, having a discussion, often the very first thing, and it's almost a... Uh, an embarrassingly knee-jerk reaction whenever you see it happen in someone else, that if somebody's talking about where they come from and where they are believing from or what their thoughts are on a certain thing, very quickly the listener will no longer be the listener, but rather they seem to be in defense of what they believe, their concept of what they believe they're in protection of. And there is a fear at some level of concept failure. They believe that Whatever they believe is not only correct, but it works for them, but it's become comfortable. But it's also an assumption. It's one that they haven't maybe studied a whole lot in. And if they have, they either have been taught incorrectly or maybe they're incomplete in their understanding, but yet they have this stalwart belief that I can never be changed or I don't want to. And anyone that says anything that sounds remotely different than what they're saying, all of a sudden it's in the front because it may cause them to think. The thinking process, weighing whether or not there are other options out there, doesn't mean that what they're believing is wrong, but there's a sense of fear, like just hearing somebody else's idea will erode or weaken whatever it is they hold today. So why is it that somebody very quickly says, well, this is what I believe? And that's a very rude thing to do when one is trying to actively listen. That also means you have been failing at being able to put not just your feelings on the shelf for a little bit, knowing this isn't about you, and try not to make it about you, which is a very selfish thing to do in communication, but also our inability to put our ideas and beliefs on the shelf, knowing that they'll be there whenever we get done, and you're not abandoning them, abandoning them like a bad parent of sorts, not anything like that. Just like whenever you stop thinking about something, or watch a movie, you're not watching a movie through the lens of your belief, for God's sake. You don't do that. You just kind of enjoy the movie and come back and realize that. But whenever it comes to practical things, when you have to refer to those principles of belief, whether it be philosophical, religious, spiritual, whatever, they're there. They are not forgotten. They're not lost as a result of coming into contact with a horror movie or a Disney movie or something comedic or something that would be outside of what you would do, but yet you still are there laughing at it. And maybe even find some conjunction with the ideas and, and are able to laugh about it because you're able to realize it from the perspective of the comedic offering and able to consume it safely and know that, well, you can go back to your normal life in a little bit and it's going to be OK. And all those things you set aside for a moment, well, they're, they're still there. So whenever we have, and this is a real life example that we're seeing played out on the world stage right now that all things are going badly and that there are certain movements that expect to be spoken of in a certain way, but uh, yet they're trying to enforce what would be forced speech 
by taking on someone's pronouns and using them because you or the individual espousing this feel uncomfortable. That is basically Marxism, (laughs) and that's not okay. That is forcing somebody in a social sense to do by social pressure whatever you feel is better for them because the, the few, the minority, are uncomfortable. And what they're in actuality doing is just demonstrating how they've not been able to adapt. And sometimes we have to adapt to things. Now, I do believe people have the right to live in the manner in which they choose and do so freely. I do believe that. But it doesn't mean because they have discomfort with how the world is and they are a minority that they should try to enforce what they believe to be mandatory in speech on someone else. That's incorrect. Fact of the matter is, if they're being respectful and being treated respectfully, we can't ask for more. That's common courtesy. But to be able to bow down to you in the way that makes you feel happy, well, that's tyranny. And conceptual tyranny is not okay. Now, this is what we would call a conceptual delusion, because they not only believe so much in their idea, but they want to force it on someone else. And they can speak it, but they treat what their ideas are, moving towards concept failure once again, as real, in the sense that they are reality. Now, this is where we come into the idea of defining what reality is, okay? My verbal expression of what I believe to be real and experiencing, which is a very individual-specific thing. We all have a different reality. In Spanish, there's a term that says, En cada cabeza es un mundo. That means in every head, inside anyone's every individual mind or brain, is a whole world. So that kind of indicates and respects the fact that every individual is quite unique. Now, we're all quite human, but in the way that we perceive and experience the world. Totally respectable. I get that. Understand it. And I support that idea. We're all rather unique. We don't have the exact same experience. Even though we we may be living parallel, we each have an individual perspective based on where we're standing in our world, so to speak. Now, the next idea, whenever we start pushing that idea towards reality and people push back, that is actuality. When you have something that's actual, that means this is the concrete world that we live in. Not the signal that we perceive, but the actual one that we're perceiving through our eyes, our ears, our nose, and our and our gustation, and that sort of thing, tactile senses. The world is. Our perception and interpretation of the world is an idea. It's a concept. But whenever we try to push our thoughts and treat people in a way that they should believe what we say because I have bad feelings about it. Once again, this is the true true believer effect in a more negative sense, to be able to push an agenda or an idea, uh, then we have a distortion because we're making a belief system that is not based on evidence, but rather emotions of which I develop thoughts and opinions by founded on this, those strong emotions. And, and often that can be very reactive, but that's also a symptom of environmental stress or anxiety, meaning I feel threatened, I feel uncomfortable. And we have to recognize that. And I have a great deal of compassion for the people that think in this way, because understandably, it is a result of stress, stressors, anxiety, and fight-flight reactions, and possibly even levels of post-traumatic stress reactivity due to trauma. And uh, those are hard things, but they can definitely shape the way we think in a way that would be considered, in a larger sense, 
a delusion because we tend to tell people that what I'm thinking is true. Well, it, it may be true to you, and you may call it reality. That's our verbiage. That's describing what it is we experience, but it's not actually what's going on. And when someone else comes to meet that idea and it falls apart in reality, or whenever reality meets your idea with what's going on outside of your head, and it falls apart. Now we're looking at application failure. Concept failure, that means we often believe it without evidence, we put it to work, and then it fails in the real world in application. Then we see a disdain and upset and discomfort because people aren't complying. This is whenever reality speaks. We realize, and it's hard. It's hard to say, wow, I was believing the wrong thing. It's hard to reorganize. I've had thoughts like that before, wherever I have thought I was correct, and I realize it very embarrassing to know that, well, what I thought was wrong. Uh, I've been in martial arts for about 38, 39 years, and that is one of the best reality testing uh, situations that can be done safely. Whenever you think you can do something not strong enough, fast enough, this sort of thing, and somebody shows you up doing something very simply, and then you realize, wow, I mean, what I was doing seemed to work. It may have worked once or twice, but it didn't work with this person. That means that may maybe my plans or my ideas were inaccurate or incorrect or incomplete. They weren't absolutely wrong, but boy, I tell you what, there was a failure in application, and it taught me humility. Sometimes we have to have humility and be willing to actively listen and reason. Because often the ideas that we have, whenever we're stuck in our own minds and have nobody to, to test this with, it doesn't mean go out there and debate angrily, but rather ask people what their thoughts are. Talk to people that have had experience and realize that your experience may be your experience and it may not be exactly someone else's, but taking up the torch because somebody got hurt or angry and then taking it on yourself as, wow, that's a perfect shield because I'm upping my level of stress and anxiety and and reactivity, and therefore it's going to be making me more effective in doing what I want and getting what I want. Well, those assumptions are based on an idea that someone may have written in an article, for instance, and if you take it to heart, then you're realizing you're basing that on someone's opinion that was written versus seeing it yourself, and sometimes we have to see for ourselves. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to look for the evidence, and it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be incorrect and inaccurate because that tells us, okay, well, I have now an opportunity to correct, gain information, gather more facts, get more evidence, and stand more firmly moving forward and more effectively whenever you're trying to apply those concepts. So that way you realize whether or not you're getting closer to something that's actually useful versus something that's always failing and then feeling bad about it. If things are always failing and feeling bad, maybe I'm not doing enough evidence, research, and fact-checking, or finding, for that matter, or even practice of those things I espouse, such that my concepts are failing because maybe I'm not skilled enough at it. Maybe I'm aware of it, but I'm not competent at that idea and applying it. I've got no skill. But I like aligning with that because what I'm seeing, what I'm reading, what I'm hearing makes me feel good and I think it's a good idea but if you're unwilling to do the work how can you expect someone else that has done the work to be able to respect what you do or what you think for that matter otherwise we're just espousing opinion and opinions are ideas and thoughts that we have that are backed by emotion but emotion is not evidence emotion lasts about eight to ten seconds whenever it runs through our body and we breathe out and 
we realize that, okay, it's starting to weaken after a moment that I have my rationale and my reason at that point. Be careful not to just accept things based on how it feels immediately because we're very highly suggestible under stress. And sometimes people can put us in a state of suggestibility very hypnotically, and they may not be hypnotists, but that's kind of what happens to us. So being aware, being centered, very good, learning how to breathe out first before you act. Always breathe out before you take on a thought or decision-making process that may eventually cause you problems in the future. So that's going to be about for today, and I just want to say thank you for spending time with me this Saturday evening, and uh, I've been on vacation this week. I've taken a few naps, and um, they've been kind of nice. So back to the grind on Monday, looking forward to going back to work and doing what I do. But I want to tell you all thank you for being along for the ride. And if you have any feedback for me, please send it to the Gmail at runningmangetskills at Gmail. And also, I just want to tell you that I hope that we may eventually have a chance to talk and visit. We're now on YouTube and we're on all platforms that you get your podcasts on. And I hope you have a really good evening. Take care. Walk well.